70 years ago. Um, I was not feeling well. I was had an upset stomach. And my mom came to me with a cup of hot tea with a little honey in it. And she said, here, honey, drink this. This will make you feel better. And so ever since then, for 70 years now, I love tea. And so I would have come to speak no matter what, just because you were having a tea party. I love tea parties. Under certain circumstances, there are few hours in life more agreeable than the hour dedicated to the ceremony known as afternoon tea. Oh, let me turn this on. There is no trouble so great or grave that cannot be much diminished by a nice cup of tea. Please remember that as you go through life. Coffee is not my cup of tea. (laughs) A woman is like a tea bag. You never know how strong she is until she gets into hot water. (laughs) Tea is a hug and a cup. Isn't that good? Jack and I were at a gathering similar to this. It was in a very large hall uh, with round tables. And we were attending a conference, and it began with a dinner meal. So we came and sat down, and we were the first ones at the table. And then a young man saw Jack and asked if he could come sit at our table because he wanted to visit with Jack during dinner. And so, of course, we said yes. And then two couples came who knew each other, but they lived in different parts of the country. And so they said, oh, let's sit together so we can visit. And so they came and sat down, and then everyone was seated, and uh, we all introduced ourselves, but there was an empty chair next to me. And so... they started serving the salad, and so we, everyone began to eat, and everyone began to visit, except me. And so Jack was visiting this young man. These two couples were visiting, and I was eating by myself. And I began to feel a little conspicuous because I felt that the table seated around me were looking over and noticing that I was not talking, no one was talking to me, I was eating alone, and they, I felt like they were saying, isn't it sad that no one likes Cynthia, (laughs) that no one wants to sit next to her and talk to her, and so I continued to have this little pity party, and just in my heart, uh, I heard the Lord say, Cynthia, Am I enough for you? Or do you have to have people always sitting around you telling you how wonderful you are? Do you always have to have people paying attention to you? Does it always have to be about you? Am I enough for you? Is it enough that I am seated next to you here at the table? Well, I was shocked. I I was taken aback. I mean, the Lord's question was so penetrating and I I remembered I mean tears springing to my eyes and 
the impact of everything he was saying was so, so great that I realized that this was a very, very special time in my life. And as I tried to comprehend all that he was asking me, I said, of course, Lord, you are enough for me. And that was a real turning point in my life. Someone asked me how long it took me to write this little Bible study that you all now have called Becoming a Woman Whose God is Enough. And I, I told this lady, I said, you know, it has taken me a lifetime to write this study. And so I'm so pleased to be with you all here today to be able to just share a little bit of what God's been teaching me. This is our purpose here today, to become aware of our predisposition to believe that we can rely on our own insight. To believe that what God provides is enough. That's what we want to understand. And we want to deepen our understanding of God's desire to be our source of fulfillment and joy. So let's pray. Father, you are so gracious to give us this time together. Thank you for all of the prayer and planning that's gone into today, all the wonderful um, food and fellowship and worship that we have, Lord. We are most blessed, and I pray that we would sense your presence in a very special way, Father, that you would touch our hearts, that you would speak to us, and that you would teach us, Father, above all, how much you love us, how much you are for us, and how much you want to be all in all to us. So, Lord, bless our time today. In Jesus' name, amen. I want to begin in the Garden of Eden. It was a great, beautiful garden. In fact, I, I like... Um, if you remember, God spoke to Adam and he said, but the Lord God warned him, you may freely eat the fruit of every tree in the garden, except the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. If you eat its fruit, you are sure to die. Now, I think that's very clear, isn't it? You are sure to die. Now, Adam told Eve about this. Eve was not in on this direct uh, instruction from the Lord. But Adam told her because of what, we'll, we'll see that because of what she said to God, uh, to, to Satan. And then I love this verse. I'm not sure I really ever paid much attention to it. It, it says, the Lord God made all sorts of trees grow up from the ground. Trees that were beautiful and that produced delicious fruit. So the, the trees that were in the garden that Adam and Eve could eat, had delicious fruit. But somehow we know that Eve wandered over to this one tree that she was not supposed to eat of. And there she encounters our enemy, Satan. This is Genesis 3 from the message translation. The serpent was clever, more clever than any wild animal God had made. He spoke to the woman. Do I understand that God said you are not to eat from any tree in the garden? The woman said to the serpent, no, not at all. We can eat from the trees in the garden. 
It's only about the tree in the middle of the garden that God said, don't eat from it, don't touch it, or you'll die. Now, Eve kind of embellished it a little bit about touching the fruit, but she had the, she had the command clear. The serpent told the woman, you won't die. God knows that the moment you eat from that tree, you'll see what's really going on. You'll be just like God, knowing everything, ranging all the way from good to evil. When the woman saw that the tree looked like good eating and realized what she could get out of it, she'd know everything. I mean, who doesn't want to know everything? She took and ate the fruit and then gave some to her husband and he ate. The thing that bothers me about this more than anything else is that Eve had everything she needed. Everything. She had delicious fruit. But somehow the enemy convinced her that this fruit that she was not supposed to eat, that God did not want her to have, was better and had it could give her something that she didn't have. And that very, is very appealing to us. Eve was at the center of her world. She was thinking only of herself. She wasn't thinking that maybe God know, knew what he was talking about when he said, don't eat this fruit. For Eve, God was not enough. She wanted more. So when God told Adam, if you eat from this fruit, you will die, God meant what he said. In Genesis 3.23, so God expelled them from the Garden of Eden and sent them to work the ground. They were expelled. They could no longer live in the garden. Their lives totally changed because of their disobedience. Why? Because God is almighty God. He is the center of the universe. I, I love the scriptures you all have on your tables, all about the different attributes of God. From Psalm 103, 19, the Lord has made the heavens his throne from there. He rules over everything. I am the first and the last there is no other God who is like me. Let him step forward and prove his power. The Lord does whatever pleases him throughout heaven and earth. He is the Lord. When he speaks, we listen and we obey. Because he's the cre he created us. Maybe he knows how we should live. In the Garden of Eden, Adam and Eve declared their independence of God. Eve said, no, I think I'll do it my way. I think I know what is best for me. I appreciate your thoughts, God, but this is too good to be true, and this is what I want. And so ever since that time, God has been, spent all of his time calling us back to himself, bringing us back to dependence upon him. And his ultimate way of doing that was by sending Jesus Christ to the cross to bring us back to himself, to redeem us. So that's the key scripture for our 
study is Romans 8, 32. And I like it from the, from this translation. He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, will he not also with him graciously give us all things? You all, that, have you, have, have you ever memorized that verse? This is an incredible, an incredible truth. He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, will he not also with him? He gave us Jesus Christ, his most precious gift, to bring us to himself, to redeem us. Will he not also graciously give us all things? Do we believe that? Blythe Pascal said this. There is a God-shaped vacuum in the heart of every man which cannot be filled by any created thing, but only by God, the creator, made known through Jesus Christ. And so it's so disappointing to see myself and to see other people looking for fulfillment Looking for satisfaction in, if only I could get married, if only I could have children, if only I had a better job, if only I made more money, then I would be satisfied. I would be happy. But the only thing that's going to fulfill us is the fullness of God in our life, in our dependence and recognition that of who he is and that only he is enough for us. And when he is enough, then he, he will he not also give us all things with him. He's gracious to give. But he wants us to be dependent on him and to understand he is what we need above all. So what happens when we want to satisfy ourselves outside of the will of God? we get into trouble and we suffer consequences just like Adam and Eve did. I think of David and Bathsheba. David was king and he looks at Bathsheba one evening. She was taking a bath and he was up on his roof. He should have been at war. That's where he should have been instead of wandering around up on his roof. But he decides he wants to have a relationship with her. And so he does. And then she gets pregnant. And then he thinks, okay, I've got to call Uriah, her husband, back from the battle. And that way people will think that she was pregnant by him. Well, as far as I'm concerned, Uriah is one of the uh, strongest men in Scripture. He was a man of integrity. He would not go stay with his wife. He said, how can I when the, the, the ark is with the, in the battle and my fellow soldiers are out fighting? How, why should I have this pleasure? And so he wouldn't do it. And so I love, I love what, I mean, the default thing, David went, well, I'll just have to kill him. And so he does. And so then God sends Nathan, who was a prophet, to David. And this is what he tells him to say. 
Then Nathan said to David, I gave you your master's house and his wives and the kingdoms of Israel and Judah. And if that had not been enough, I would have given you much, much more. Why then have you despised the word of the Lord and done this horrible deed? I mean, it's right there. God said, I've given you so much. And I would have given you much, much more. He who did not spare his own son, but gave him of our soul, will he not also with him graciously give us all things, all things. What a rebuke. I would have given you much, much more. If that wasn't enough, God wants to be enough. But it needs to be on his terms. He gives on his terms, not on ours. It's not wrong to have more. It just needs to come from the hand of God. In fact, God told Solomon, I will give you a wise and understanding heart, and I will also give you riches and fame. God asked Solomon what he wanted, and Solomon said, I want wisdom. And God said, that's great. That pleased God. He said, I'm also going to give you riches. I mean, but it was from the hand of God. It's Romans 8.32 again. I'm sorry I keep saying it. But even David sought more outside of the will of God. And what we have to realize is that God is for us. He's not against us. So when God told Adam, I don't want you to eat of the fruit of the tree of good and evil. It was for their good. It's like our telling a child, honey, you cannot play in the street. You can play in the yard, in in everyone's yard, but you cannot play in the street. And the child is saying, why, why are you being so restrictive? You know, I mean, but why, why do we do that? It's because of the child's welfare. And it's the same thing with God when he says, I do not want you to commit adultery. I do not want you to lie. It's for our welfare. He knows what is best for us. God is for us. Romans 8.31 is what we're talking about. If God is for us, who can be against us? It's scripture. Paul was in prison, and this is what he writes. I love Paul. And I want you to know, my dear brothers and sisters, that everything that has happened to me here has helped to spread the good news. He's in prison. But he's saying, it's, I want to tell you how awesome it is, what God's doing. Everyone here, including the whole palace guard, knows that I am in chains because of Christ. And because of my imprisonment, most of the believers here have gained confidence and boldly speak God's message without fear. And I think right there he could have said, praise God that I'm in prison. God is for us. He's not against us. And in any situation he puts us in, he works it for our good and for the good of his kingdom. And we have to trust him for that. Romans 8, 28 says this, and we know that God causes everything to work together for the good of those who love God and are called according to his purposes for him. We, these are our good friends, Lambert and Doris Anderson. They are long-term missionaries to Peru with Wycliffe. 
In fact, I think they've served 60 years there. And they work out in a very small village in the jungles. And they were working very hard to finish a trans. I think it was a translation of Jeremiah. And they had a man who was with this tribe, the Takuna tribe. And he, he was working with them. And they were working fast and furiously to get this done. And then the tribal chief came to them and said they had word that these armed soldiers were coming into the village and they were about a day away and that they felt like that Lambert and Doris needed to leave because they didn't know what these armed soldiers were going to do. And so they said they just were so frustrated they had to pick up everything and take this translator with them and move to this city. And uh, so they, but they did, they went and moved to the city and the armed gunmen came in. <clears throat> they, they didn't do anything, but they were afraid if there had been Americans there, they might've said, done something. So anyway, <clears throat> what happened is they, they got into the city and they started working and they got so much more done because they were not interrupted by the villagers. <laughs> Nobody knew them there. And, and so they said, you know, it's amazing. What we thought was frustrating to us, God worked it for good. Can we keep that perspective? And we can if we believe that God is enough for us. He knows what he's doing in our life. We can rest because the Lord is our shepherd who takes care of us and we all know Psalm 23. The Lord is my shepherd. How many times have you? The Lord is my shepherd. I have everything I need. Okay. Do you believe that? No. We don't say it like that. The Lord is my shepherd. I have everything I need. Do you believe that? What does a shepherd do for a sheep? He takes care of the sheep. That The sheep don't know where to go eat grass. They don't know where water is. They don't know anything. <laughs> and it's the shepherd who takes care of the sheep, all of their needs. And David writes it. David was a shepherd. He writes Psalm 23, but he writes it as a sheep. He says, the Lord is my shepherd. I have everything I need. He is our all sufficient shepherd. I love this picture. This is my picture of the Lord as my shepherd. How much he loves us. How much he wants to care for us. How much he wants to provide for us if we will let him. All we have to do is follow him. Now, there's a difference between a need and a want. <clears throat> a need is a necessity. We need water. We need food, most of all. It's nice to have some clothes, and it's nice to have shelter. Those are needs. It's a necessity. And, of course, Jesus is the living water, and he is the bread of life. C.S. Lewis said this. I love this. God designed the human machine to run on himself. He himself is the fuel for our spirit's the fuel our spirits were designed to burn. 
are the food our spirits were designed to feed on. Isn't that good? A want is a desire, something that we would like to have. The shepherd doesn't always provide for our wants, but he always provides for our need. What? The Lord is my shepherd. I have everything I need. It's not the Lord is my shepherd. I have everything I want. When the Lord is our shepherd, our needs are redefined by God. The shepherd determines our needs. Eve had all she wanted in the garden, but she wanted more. David had everything he needed. You all, he had eight wives and ten concubines. What was he wanting with Bathsheba? (laughs) He didn't need Bathsheba, but he wanted her. So we need to be very, very careful that we let God provide our needs and our wants. We can tell him what we want, but we let him provide them. I I love the story when the four men take the paralyzed man to Jesus. And there were so many people in the house that they go up on the roof and they take off the top of the roof and they drop the paralytic man down in front of Jesus And the first thing Jesus says, he looks at this man and says, your sins are forgiven. Well, I mean, it doesn't say this, but I think the scripture would say, I think the the man said, you know what? I did not come here to have my sins forgiven. I came here to be healed. See, his want was to be healed, but his need was what? That his sins were forgiven. And so Jesus met his need. He then met his want. But the initial need was, was met. We just need to remember that. God is a wise father who sometimes refuses what you want to give you what you need. Years ago, uh, it was in fact, it's 1965. Most of you were not even born then. Jack and I moved to this old house in central Texas. It, it looks nicer, actually, in this picture than it was. It was, a, it was a, actually, it was a duplex. And I think I've talked about this old house before. But uh, there was a front, there were two one-bedroom duplexes put together. Uh, and so it... I had two kitchens, and it was built up off of the ground. It had sort of a lattice work around the bottom. It was right next, Jack, by profession, is a veterinarian. It was right next to his veterinary hospital. Uh, And what happened is that eventually the rats that ate on the feed in the veterinary hospital, uh, found their way over to our house, and they came up through the walls, up the walls and across the ceiling. And so Jack, we would sometimes, Jack would laugh, I would not laugh. (laughs) He would say, they're having their route races again. And I 
Yes, they are. And so I just had my third child in three years. Uh, we just moved to this new town. And, uh, but this, we lived in Temple, Texas, which is a, a unique little uh, town because it had four major hospitals. And, of course, Jack was the only veterinarian in the county at the time. So all of these doctors would bring their pets to Jack, and they would meet, and, and then they'd, of course, they liked Jack. And so before we long, we were being invited to these doctors' homes and uh, <clears throat> for meals. And uh, their homes only had one kitchen, and... Um, this house had wallpaper. Uh, you all don't remember. They used to have wallpaper that had a netting up again. Anyone remember the netting with what? See, nobody. Okay. Uh, <laughs> in, 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 in the olden days, they used to put a netting, and the, then they'd put glue, and the wallpaper would go up against this netting against the wall. But then when it started getting dry and cracked, this netting would start coming out from the wall. It was, it was lovely. And, um, I mean, this, this house, I can't tell you how. I mean, in the kitchen that I used, we had the washer and dryer. I had one of those. It's the Sears. It, the sink and the draining board was this big. It was one of those white with the, cor- the corrugated stuff. That's all the, tra- all the draining board space I had. I, I mean, it, it was, I can't tell you. Anyway. I mean, and, and the table, the kitchen, the dining room. I mean, we didn't have a dining room. The dining room was in there, in this kitchen with a washer and dryer and this little tiny. Anyway, so I was, I was too embarrassed to have people in our home. Because, I mean, they had, I mean, these were, these were nice homes that we'd go to. And ours had rats and wallpaper coming down and... No place to really eat. And, but yet I knew I was supposed to be inviting them over to, to reciprocate their invitations. And so it was a real struggle for me. I, I didn't know what to do. And so, I mean, finally we bought a piece of land and we got someone to drop some plans. We were going to build this house. So that kind of, you know, gave me... It was, I'm, you know, I'm being very honest. It gave me some, well, we're getting ready to build this house, you know, so everyone knew, okay, yeah, no, you're not going to, what? Anyway, that fell through. It fell through after eight or nine months. And uh, finally, you all, after four years, we were able to move out of that house to another house. Four years we were there. And as we were leaving, as we were moving, what I heard in my heart was this. Cynthia, I couldn't trust you with another house until I knew you were content with this one. And he said, see, your want was another house. But your need was to die to your pride. And I love God for that. He met my need, not my want. As, as much as I wanted it and as hard as it was, 
It was a lesson that I needed to learn. I continued to learn, but it made a great impression on my heart. A.W. Tozer, always he is trying to get our attention to reveal himself to us, to communicate with us. You all, that's true. In all of our circumstances, he's trying to communicate with us. If you're sitting at the table and no one's sitting next to you, he's trying to communicate to you. If you're in a situation that you want change, but it doesn't seem to change and there's not much you can do about it, God is communicating with you. And what he is communicating is, am I enough? Do you have to have the stuff of the world? Am I enough for you? Hannah Whittall Smith. The last and greatest lesson that the soul has to learn is the fact that God and God alone is enough for all its needs. This is the lesson that all his dealings with us are meant to teach. And this is the crowning discovery of our whole Christian life. God is enough. Let's pray. Thank you, Father, for who you are. More than we could ever ask or think, Lord. How uh, little we settle for, I think, Father. But help us today to expand our vision, to see how very, very much you love us, how very, very much you want what is best for us, that you love us enough to keep things from us that are not for our good at the present time. So, Lord, we just fall before you and thank you for always being enough for us. In Jesus' name, amen.